If you have bills and debt piling up, a personal loan through NetCredit can provide funding up to $10,000 to help you get back on track if eligible. Visit netcredit.com today. All NetCredit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the NetCredit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com slash partners for more information. Hello everyone, it's been a while, but welcome to Rovers Chat Podcast Season Preview. As the sun rises on a brand new season, you have the joy of listening to us talk all things Rovers for the next hour or so. On today's panel, I'm joined as ever by Ollie and Alex, as well as brand new podcast regular, we hope, Lanks Live's very own Jacob Crook. Um, the clue is in the title and in my introduction, but today obviously will be all about the upcoming season. Whilst we're always been very quiet in the transfer window, there's a hell of a lot to talk about. Um, why I've not made any signings and obviously the um, staff turnover, which is worrying a lot of people right now. Um, without further ado, further ado, though, we'll jump straight into it. Um, but first, a message from our sponsors. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. So obviously like I said transfers are exactly where we're going to start and so we have the luxury of Jacob being on the panel today um, who can tell us how absolutely nothing is happening. Um, and obviously, Jacob, I'm going to come straight to you. Um, are we any closer at all to announcing absolutely anything before the start of the season on Saturday? Bear in mind, we're recording on a Wednesday evening at quarter to seven. I know you'd love me to say yes, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have anything through before Saturday. Um, yeah, I think last week it was a bit of optimism around maybe one uh, one free transfer and obviously that one has since ended up at West Brom. Uh it's sort of looking like loan deals for the foreseeable unless something changes. Uh and with that we're sort of having to wait until Premier League clubs are ready to sanction those loan deals. But um there was a good little segment from from Neil Warnock over the weekend where he said he, he got a loan uh, a list of eight players from Watford but they're looking to loan. So um, I think we're reaching that point now where, where Premier League clubs are sort of looking to to shift some players on, whether they're of any interest to Rovers or whether they can afford them is a completely different matter. But that might be good for, say, the likes of Leighton Clarkson or, or even Tommy Doyle in um, in the next coming weeks. And Ollie, I just want to, Jacob mentioned a certain Adam Reach there. Um, I don't think he said his name, but obviously alluded to enjoying West Brom. Um, were you disappointed that we missed out on Reach? I think there's a lot of talk especially last week when we did the big live stream. I think Jacob and Rich both said that it was looking like that could be over the line. I think Mowbray alluded to it in his presser as well. That obviously wasn't the case. Um, is that one we've missed out on? Um, or is, is it a bullet dodge? Because West Brom haven't been particularly happy about it and Sheffield Wednesday haven't given him glowing reviews, it has to be said, since leaving. Um, no, it wasn't. I think... There hasn't been much activity to chew on really at all, but he was one that was obviously close. Um, no, I, I was, wasn't particularly bothered either way. I didn't, I guess he's a, quite a traditional winger. If you sort of think about positionally, um, we don't really play with traditional wingers and we don't cross the ball into the box and score headers. So and not sure what his wages would have been like. So it wasn't particularly signing I'd have gone oh brilliant that's kind of really set us onto a kind of that's something to be excited for for this season and is going to result in us kind of worrying about bottom half of the table and thinking further up the league because we've signed Adam Reach it would have been a fairly mediocre signing that wasn't filling it filling a hole we don't particularly have um you know I'd rather see Dolan continued kind of getting a good run of games and time in the time in the side. If Harry Chapman can do what he was doing at Shrewsbury um, for us this season in patches and some of the other players we've got, I'd rather stick to seeing what they're going to offer us than um, bring in someone like Adam Reach. So it, it wasn't particularly something I was that bothered about. Um, not sure how you guys felt. 
No, Jacob, just Ollie mentioned there um, the wage of Adam Reach. Was it something that Rove just couldn't compete with? Was it a case of something was close until West Brom blew them out of the water, essentially? Yeah, they were always sort of going to be offering top end of their wage spectrum anyway, um, considering the wages that he was on at Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, but yeah, sort of a financial pull from from West Brom um, and probably their their own ambitions as well. Obviously, they they want to get promoted straight back to the Premier League this season. So um, put the pair of them together, it was it was a different. Yeah, as soon as West Brom came onto the scene, then um, it was always going to be a difficult one for Rovers. Alex, um, Ollie mentioned as well about the development of our own players. So bringing Adam Reach could potentially stifle the likes of Dolan, um, who had a fantastic maiden season for us. Um, would you go along with that? Would you say that whilst it's disappointing because everybody loves a new signing announcement and we love seeing new players play for the club, is it better that we look at our own players that have huge room for development and make sure that we, we get the best out of them? I think I'd definitely take that point, but what I would say is that it's whether you're signing Reach instead of a loan player, in which case Reach is your own player and a loan player goes back after 12 months, so you've kind of got to weigh up that dimension as well. I think the psychology of the more loans that you bring in in any given summer, the more work you have to do next summer to replace the loans that you brought in if they're successful. So, And I think we're seeing that with um, Harvey Elliott and Harwood Bellis and both, well, Harwood Bellis is already gone somewhere else um, abroad and um, Elliot looks unlikely to come back. So um, I think the more long deals you do, the more pressure you put on yourself for next summer. It's almost a bit of a delaying tactic, I would say. So I think my main concern is just the volume of players that we've lost and the lack of players we've brought in. And I think we can't really be too fussy about the players we're bringing in at the minute because we're so light on bodies, Um, you know, losing 11, I think, and bringing in one, if you, Take Pickering, which I think is fair. So we're 10 down on last season. And I think to expect all those young players that you talk about just to fill up, fill those gaps, plug those gaps. What I would say is that, you know, in a hypothetical world, if we lose the first four games of the season, you know, do those players panic? Do they, you know, how do they react to that? And those pressures of a first team football, which they're not used to. So I think there's certainly a balance to be struck. And I think, the, my main concern of losing out on reach wasn't so much the quality of the player, but just the lack of senior pros we've got in the squad and how light we are on the ground at the minute. Ollie, Alex mentioned there the fact that we obviously lost a lot of senior players. Now, I think last season, a lot of people have said that the squad was incredibly bloated. Um, I think both Rich and Jake have reported on that themselves um, in saying that we did have too many players and it became almost impossible task to give everyone the game time that they deserved and expected. So the fact that Harvey Elliott was out of the team for a, a significant period of time, especially in that starting eleven, was quite shocking, um, considering he was probably one of our best players last season. Um, is the fact we've got a small squad, could that come as a benefit? And as well, because we haven't got these new players that everyone wants to see and, and Mowbray may almost feel like he's got to play, given the opportunity to... to Bleed youngsters in like Jay Garrett, for example, who was, I thought, brilliant against Leeds. Yeah, it's difficult because I think the one thing you can't predict is what happens with injuries. And we've had a rotten few seasons with it. Um, a lot of players have gone. If you put Harvey Elliott to one side, um, and the fact that Barry Douglas was quite disappointing, um, the first, the kind of best 11 this season doesn't look won't look particularly different than the best 11 last season. Um, you know, if Wharton, once Wharton's back to full fitness and if Ayala can actually get himself fit, that should kind of fill the void left by Harwood Bellis and our defence shouldn't hinge around a young loan player from Man City who's now at Anderlecht, um, where, you know, Harwood Bellis was as good as Scott Wharton was before he got injured. So, um Douglas was disappointing. Amari Bell split opinion. Harry Pickering is going to pick up that mantle. But, you know, our success in the championship this season, wherever you think we're going to finish, did not hinge on Elliot Bennett and Corey Evans playing in midfield, like in the slightest. But so, it does give you that strength in depth, though. I know it does. I think it's it does, about the it's... squad. But at the moment, we've got what? I think, is it 
two or three senior central midfielders that have got experience at this level. I mean, you'd rather take Corey Evans, surely, than, despite people's opinions of you, you'd rather have Corey Evans there than not. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and, you, you know, none of us are players or are kind of in the dressing room and understand what the atmosphere is like and who are the big talkers, whether they're playing or not. Someone like Elliot Bennett, for example, we know how much he, whether when he's not playing and knowing he's not a starter, will be doing quite a lot probably behind the scenes and on the bench and in the dressing room. Um, and I mean, Alex makes a good point the, about Adam Reach and experience probably are some of our biggest failings last season in losing so many games very narrowly was just a bit of naivety around game game management and some of the sort of the darker side of football that a young set of players where you don't have many options after the your sort of best 11 plus kind of a couple of others that inexperience can really start to tell in certain matches um certainly against the kind of cannier sides in the division and some of the you know some of the better sides um and even some of you know last season we saw when we you know lose at Wickham and stuff where they're just better at managing a second half having taken a narrow lead whereas we're sort of just a little bit naive and yeah perhaps some experienced heads are sort of better at managing those situations but um it's hard to tell really um I think Jacob's right that we need to see where we end up a bit like last season what does the squad look like at the end of the transfer window um appreciate it's going to be propped up by some loans um but that's sort of where we are really as a football club um at the moment yeah it's a little worrying at the moment because it's a bit thin as soon as a couple of key people are being injured and we've you know we've had that so often um in the last two seasons with some of our top players dropping out for significant periods of time so um I think all fans sit there and kind of expect something to happen to, you know, Bradley Johnson not to get himself fit, Travis going out again. You know, what does the what does the defense look like if Lenehan's out for four matches, six matches, ten matches? It's the defense looks terrifying if Lenehan's not there. At the moment, like if no one else comes in. Um so yeah, it's it's after that first eleven that's quite concerning. I think. I think. I think you're certainly right in saying that we are thin, but obviously, I hate to mention them up the road, but obviously Burnley did it with a, a slice of luck, keeping the entire first eleven basically fit all season. I think that he only used a handful of players that year. So I mean, it does have its positives. I'm not for a minute suggesting we're going to go and have some tremendous, remarkable season like that. Um, but if we get lucky with injuries, it, it could be a bit better than we expect. Um, Jacob, I'm going to finish up with, with you on the incomings segment, if we can call it that, considering there have been no incomings. Um, what's the feeling inside the club, though, with regards to transfers? Obviously, Mowbray spoke a lot about this journey that we're on um, or have been on the past three years. I think it feels a bit like that's been abandoned in a way because the European Scouting Network has provided one player, really. Um, obviously, we're speaking about and Chamberlain leaving later on. Um, has that very much changed? Is it sort of now that Mowbray's basically looking at this season and not really further than that? It sort of feels like they've been thrown so many obstacles and I think they've finally like hit a few that have just stalled them. Um, the expectation, like when they announced the retain list, there was obviously a sizable amount of, of the wage budget that had, had gone. And you sort of sense that it was an opportune time to rebuild. Um, the talk was especially at, at the end of the season that they were going to move early in the market, um, like fill the vacant spots. Um, and the, they were sort of looking in that way. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, they're sort of, we, we talk about transitional periods and, um, and stuff like that, but it, it sort of feels like a, a a, a like point point in the moment at the time. Um we're obviously not going to progress. Obviously with the year contracts at the end uh with, with Mowbray, it's, it's sort of a difficult situation as to whether Venkis are gonna obviously offer him an extension and stuff, but he's planning ahead anyway. Um so that's certainly what what's been said around the club. Just how they um 
how they go about that. I'm oh, sorry, I just got a, a message through then. Um, no, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, no worries. <laughs> yeah, so it yeah, be interesting to see yeah what happens on that front. What um just to I know you need to reply to your message, but one quick one question with regards to that. Um, what where did it go wrong? So from the perspective of yourself, from what what you heard and seen. Where did it go wrong? What were the stumbling blocks that stopped Rose from getting the biz done early? Was it the case? I mean, the government obviously allowed this extension for accounts to be published. Did the club though not foresee that the EFL will still stop you from doing it if you do take too long? Yeah, There's just so- lots of things that they just seem to didn't they weren't able to anticipate, and it's really has cost them. It's um, it's sort of the same as a contract situation actually, where they. You'd expect them to be like a bit proactive on that front, and they probably have been lacking behind, and it's cost them dearly in this situation. But uh, with regards to the embargo, um, it was sort of difficult to get any word out of the EFL about that situation. But um, in relation to profit and sustainability, Rovers were treading a fine line, uh, as they will be for the next year. So it's interesting to see what their accounts will be for for June twenty twenty one. But um, it, it was their profit and sustainability projections which actually kept them um, under embargo until July. Um, it sort of kept under wraps a little bit. Uh, obviously, the publishing of accounts didn't help in that regard, which is why it took so long for them to to publish it. Uh, so, yeah, it's the, the finances. Rovers have, have realised they've had to make a load of cutbacks, which we've sort of seen uh, across across the board a little bit. And which is why the budget is, is so tight at the minute and they can't afford to, to go out and spend like the usual lavish wages that, that they would hope to spend in, in previous windows. Um, so, yeah, it, it's I think they initially had the budget and then they've had to reassess the situation in, in terms of finances uh, and they're sort of treading a fine line and realise they actually haven't got that much to spend in that regard. And certainly the, the embargo didn't help. It just put them on the back foot to to begin with, um, missed out on a few targets because of it and um, sort of were playing the chasing game from, from there on in. Well, those targets, exciting ones that you know of, were they ones that would have excited us as, as fans or...? Yeah, well, um, Peli Ruddick Mapanzu was definitely one... Mowbray especially like the look of um, would have been affordable uh, and then you get to a situation where they, they couldn't really afford uh, Luton came back with an improved offer for him and in the end it was the best one on the table and Rose couldn't quite match that in the end uh, which doesn't bode well considering it is Luton and they're obviously a sustainable club themselves but um, yeah that, that was probably one that um, out of a lot would, would have been an exciting addition, especially with what he brings, the dynamic he brings to midfield. No, I thought that, um, I think questions need to be asked, I think, generally, um, over uh, Mowbray's dealings to put us in the situation that we're in now, where we do have very little money. Um, moving on, though, um, we're going to move on to the outgoings. And I think there's probably... Um, only one man that we're going to be talking about, um, and that is Adam Armstrong. Um, obviously, um, the saga isn't really slowing down. The rumour mill just swirls around on Twitter all the time, doesn't it? Um, Jacob, I'm going to stick with you for now. Alex and Ollie, I know you've been waiting a while for talking to talk, and Jacob, you've been talking probably a bit too much for your own liking. Um, Armstrong, though, what's the latest on him? Um, any developments or it sort of seems like Southampton are the only uh, team that are left in for him at the minute. Um, obviously, Watford have decided to call their interest for him. West Ham uh, decided to like pursue alternative targets. Um, was never really sure of Brighton's interest, and as for Fulham, they um, oh, Marco Silva's come in. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to be spending that sort of money. And the same applies for Norwich as well. The, the finances didn't really stretch for, for them to, to make a real move, especially the money that Rovers are asking for. It's it's sort of a case now where Rovers have, have got to see short-term benefits and, and, and long-term foresight, really, 
can you afford to to let a player of of his caliber go and especially his value to the club um leave for for free next summer or or for cheap in january um i sort of get the feeling that they might have to budge on their valuation a little bit before the end of the window um and we might see a bit more activity from from those that have previously registered their interest. But it, it seems like well, Southampton have been in of a driving seat for for pretty much the last month, and I can't see that that changing. So um, it, it, it's one of them. The worst case scenario is that something happens like on deadline day, and Rovers are in a, are in a position where they can't recruit a replacement for him because um, obviously there's still another four weeks left of a window. Uh, but yeah, I think Southampton. If is if a deal is going to happen, um, I'd hedge my bets on Southampton going forward. Alex Jacob mentioned obviously it, not wanting not wanting it to wait until the basically deadline day. Um, are you frustrated that it's continued a little bit and that Rovers haven't been a bit more fair in their asking price? Because like Jacob said, it'd be a bit of a travesty um, if he went on a free. Um, and you got a question how important is he to our survival because I don't really think without him we're going to go down um, and with him we're not going to go up obviously so do you wish that Rob was perhaps a bit more fair so they got it over and done with so that they knew that maybe they had an extra 8 million in the bank that goes towards helping that profit and sustainability which means that in coming seasons maybe we don't have to be quite as tight with the purse strings I think, to a certain extent, I, I would agree with that. But I think um, the biggest thing at the moment is there is four weeks left in the window, so there is time. Um, if we were in the last week of the window, I'd take the point that we might have to budge on valuations. But um, the situation that Rob's are in at the moment, they need to, you know, we've just spoken about how tight the finances are with regards to the three-year rolling £39 million loss that you're allowed under the... EFL's rules and when you're skirting that close to the line um, Rovers need to try and extract as much money as they can from uh, that transfer deal if it is but then they don't, they, none of the, none of the they, they don't have the cards on the table of themselves because there's a year left in January you could go for a cutthroat price of about 5 million just so they get something back off him I mean uh, Rovers are in a yeah. lose-lose really I, I take the point the one thing I would say is that events in the last few days might have knock-on effects for us. You know, you look at Grealish going to Man City, which look like which looks like it's wrapped up, but let's say Villa by Danny Ings for 30 million quid and suddenly Southampton have got more money to spend. So those things can filter through the system and you can end up with Southampton coming back with £5 million more on the table and then the deal's done. So... There's still a lot of time left in the window yet. I think there's still a lot of permutations and the way these deals work. Um, I, the cynic in me still holds on to the feeling that Rovers want it to go to the very end so they don't have to spend any of the money on a replacement. But um, I think at the moment, I'm kind of comfortable with where they're at. I do expect him to be sold. Um, all of the things I'm here, like all of the... Well, you, you mentioned Danny Ings just there. I don't know if you mentioned it because you know but Villa have actually announced things is signing whilst we've been on um, the air sort of Jacob or like that with Villa signing another couple but he might also enjoy the fact they're losing probably England's most talented creative player so that's what threw me in, in the message before like, I started stumbling <laughs> I was the same yeah because uh, Luke put a message for those that, that are listening obviously you don't see the problem but when we st- I stumbled before because Luke put a message and oh, as armor gone I'm like what and then <laughs> and God knows um, but Ings has gone so like you say Alex it could cause that that chain reaction because I'm not sure what the fee is but it's um, I imagine it's going to be hefty um, mm-hmm. sorry Karen Alex anyway I just wanted to make everyone aware that we're it's not live, but still find that information as we're recording. So we're bringing the most up-to-date stuff here on Rovers chat. Sorry, Alex, continue. I, I do I do agree with you guys, though, that the worst outcome is that we keep a disinterested Armstrong for the next six months and he has a bad half of a season because he's not his mind's not in the right place and we get a derisory sum of money in January for him. So 
the best outcome for everyone is that he gets his move, he gets increased wages, which he probably deserves after the last 18 months of uh, scoring all those goals and Rovers then kind of can pocket the money and being a bit more of a sure footing with regards to the finances. So uh, the one thing I would say is that I think it does smack of bad planning that we've got to this point where, you know, the club found itself under a transfer embargo. Like Those things don't happen to clubs that are normally well run and the people in the boardroom have a lot of foresight. So that is a concern. Um, but with the situation that Rovers have landed themselves into at this point, you know, we can't go back in time and change what's gone on. So in the situation right now, as of today, um, he'll probably have to be sold. And I just hope that um, all those circumstances align and we get a decent price for him. Well, like you say, it seems they are aligned because I would imagine that Villa have definitely splashed the cash on Ings due to the fact they've just pocketed £100 million from Grealish. Um, and obviously that frees up funds for Southampton. Um, I want to move on from Adam Armstrong, though, because I'm sure everyone will be sick of hearing about it, especially in the coming days when that Southampton offer is inevitably accepted due to this sale. Um, who would have thought Jack Grealish going to City could impact Blackburn so much? Um, Ollie... Someone else that's been rumoured um, to have left. There was rumours actually on Twitter that started swirling round um, about a certain Joel Rothwell. I know you're his number one fan. Um, the rumour actually was Rothwell out, uh, reach in. Obviously, reach isn't now coming in. Um, Joel Rothwell, though, there was mention from Alan Nixon at the start of the season that Rovers would potentially look to offload him. He's in the same boat as Armstrong, I believe, entering the last year of his contract. Um can Rovers afford to lose Rothwell? Uh, he is Mr. Inconsistent for me. He's consistently inconsistent. Um, but then when he's, he's on form, there aren't many better than, than him in the division. No. Um, I was surprised to see rumours circling, but then decided to put them firmly in the rumour camp and not pay much credence to them. Um you know, Moby talked about it's a big season for Joe Rothwell and kind of building a lot of our attack around him this season and he needs to play quite a prominent part in what we're doing. Um, so there's the past two seasons, though. It's every single yeah, season. I mean, it's a I, huge season for Rothwell. He's got to start proving himself and every year he does brilliantly bits and flashes, but never, ever good enough. I know the fact, you know, inconsistent is the word that's so often used, but I don't know. I watch him play and I'd always say he's consistently carrying the ball forward into dangerous areas. Is the one player trying to do something, taking players on, always looking to pass forwards and try and create something. It's you know, he reminds me of. He reminds me of Ruben Rashina. Just so much I, I used to, I love Ruben Rashina as well, but he was more a cult player because he was Partly what I mean is, Rashina brought all these fancy skills and tricks, and people loved him. But he just never really. There's no more... way to And it, well. Rothwell doesn't fall over as much either. <laughs> Rashina had, had spent half the time lying on the pitch. Uh, no, I think I'm not. I think for me, if Joe Rothwell left and had gone to Sheffield United, or does go to Sheffield United, or somewhere else. And I'm happy to be kind of shamed on this podcast. I, To me, he then becomes, if utilised properly every single week for 90 minutes and you're kind of building an attack around him as a number 10 or one of, one of a midfield three, one of the advanced two of a midfield three, which is a system we're probably going to play again. I He starts being talked about as a side like up in the top six that, no, he's not like a Buendir, he's not a Ben Rama, he's not a Jared Bowen, but I think he is capable of getting into that bracket with, I, for me, because I think the attributes are all there. Um, he's just lacking the numbers behind it. But I don't think that's, you know, we were very inconsistent at scoring last season. Um, you know, we'd create opportunities and just not score and spend a long time, you know, a number of games not scoring and then 4-0, 5-0. But I think the creativity is kind of there in the side. Um, I don't think we can afford to lose him. I think if you never want to read too much into friendlies, but, you know, 
Bolton was our last friendly and it's where, you know, we played a strong side because you're, it's looking more towards the team that's going to start against Swansea, uh, maybe with a couple of changes. Um, but we were in our very, very familiar, stodgy patterns of play. Um, and he brings on, you know, Gallagher, Buckley and Rothwell. And, you know, one of the first things he does, drive forward, looks up and actually plays a good pass quickly instead of the way I've never known a side delay their attack so much when they hit like the last 30 yards of the pitch and Rothwell straight away took players on, drove forwards and we scored. And yeah, it's Bolton in a friendly, but it showed how big a difference that kind of forward thinking makes um, compared with what we were doing beforehand. Um, with Armstrong probably going, we're not going to have Dak until, you know, deep into the season. I've got a lot of time for John Buckley, but players like Dolan and Chapman are very young and inexperienced. I don't think we can afford to, he's, you know, he has to be viewed whether you think he's inconsistent or not. He's one of our best kind of attacking options in terms of our creativity that we have this season, whether whether you think that's good or bad. For, for what it's worth, I, I do agree with you. I, I wouldn't want him to see him go. I think he's a, a very good player. He's just so frustrating because he has three or four magnificent games and goes missing for the next 10. Um, and we've seen it time and time again in a, of him in a rubber shirt, um, which is why I just don't buy his constant asking for to be the main man and as well for what it's worth he said playing that number 10 now you're making a lot of assumptions myself here but when Bradley Dak's back if he's the same monster that we know he can be then Bradley Dak is the best player at this football club so for me Joe Rocker doesn't get looking at number 10 um, if Bradley Dak's fit um, so it's a tough one it's certainly one that's that's going to rumble on I think the Rothwell one especially with him a year left um, Jacob, can you shed, shed any light on the, the Rothwell situation? Obviously, the rumour came out of nowhere and it's obviously um, turned out to be rubbish. Um, but obviously there was the rumours at the start of the season that Rothwell could be could be leaving, especially given the fact he, he will be leaving on a free if they don't agree new terms. Is there anything on him signing a new deal or is that similar to Armstrong where Rovers could look to offload him just so that they can get some cash for him? I think in an ideal world, you'd want you wouldn't want this contract situation. I think, well, from a Rothwell perspective, definitely, where you can have a full season and, and get his head down and deliver his best form. I mean, at twenty seven now, like the excuses are starting to run out a little bit. But um, there was there was interest at the start of the summer. Sheffield United were were sort of looking that they were profiling attacking midfielders before Joe Kanovic came in, and then. Yeah, I think Rovers are sort of open to offers in the expectation that he's not going to sign a new deal. And we, well, we've seen it before when he actually joined the club, when he uh, obviously allowed his contract to run down from, from Oxford United. There's always that sort of like lingering prospect that um, he could allow that to happen. There's been no movement on the contract front so far. The same can apply with, with Armstrong and, and even Ryan Nyambi as well, which is a, a little concern. But um yeah, I think if an offer was to come in, because uh, there is interest, there is championship interest in him. I think quite a few like see a, see a player in there that, that can obviously change games, which he can do. He's proven over at like different occasions that he's capable of doing that. I don't think there's many better ball progressors in in the championship. It's just the end product, which is which is a consistent issue. But um, they are open to offers, whether anything materialises or not is. Is obviously a different matter, but I think some clubs may be, may be keeping an eye on that with the, the idea that they might be able to sneak him either for cheap in, in January because he probably won't cost them a lot then with six months left on his contract or or even better for free next summer. What, what's your gut with that one? Do you, do you see that, that trio of Armstrong now and being Rothwell if they, aren't end up, if they don't end up being sold? Is it a case of the, all three of them unless we have some miraculous turnaround and somehow go on this ridiculous run and get promoted. Um, is it a case for all three of them probably leaving at the end of 
2022, well, the end of the 21-22 season? Um, I'm still quietly confident of, of Ryan. Um, I was always quietly confident about Joe ranking Costello when it came to it. Um, yeah, still quietly confident about Ryan. I think we might see a good good end to that whole contract saga. But I, I, I can't see Joe Rothwell staying. I'd like to be proven wrong in, in that regard. Um, but yeah, I, I could possibly see a move at the end of it. Um, and then there's obviously all the other contract scenarios, which... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, which uh, which needs to be played out. Um, obviously, Ben Brereton's in the last year of his contract, and Rovers have obviously moved swiftly while he was at Copper America to commence negotiations with his with his representatives. So hopefully that gets addressed soon because that is a another situation we don't want to see pan out. Do you, do you think? Do you think Ben will sign a new deal? I'm hopeful. Um, they're they're going to have to give him a good offer, uh, and that. I'd like to think they've got the room to to achieve that. But if well, stock's play... gone through through the roof, hasn't it? And again, it, I guess it's another disappointment where forward planning's shocking. Obviously, we've known that about the Chile connection for months. I think Burton himself said, and not that when he originally said in that like program <laughs> bit like two years ago, no one thought he was going to be going to the Copper America, but with the expectation, especially in the past. I'd say year that it could happen. You'd like to have thought that Rovers might have been a bit more proactive and got a deal in early. Um, but then again, he had a miserable first two seasons. So, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I think if he hadn't have had that knee injury in December, I'd well, I'd like to have thought that they've that have sort of escalated negotiations a little bit or commenced them a little bit earlier. Um, it's the same. I always feel like you need to be two years ahead of ahead of your game in regards to contracts. Um, it's the same, but like Rovers now need to be looking at Lewis Travis, signing him down to a better deal because like, he's, he's a player that you can build your team around. Um, yeah, you, you'd like to think that they've learned their lessons, especially after the last 12 months. But the way that everything's panned out at the minute, they sort of need to get a move on. And with financial struggles and everything, and obviously all the backroom staff leaving, you sort of feel like everything's not together not everything's pieced together um but hopefully we get to see some some contract movement soon that'll be that'll be ideal it definitely would now like check i mentioned the last 12 months but it seems to be like it's a perennial problem for rovers contracts conor mahoney left on a free um it is constant it always seems to be the case um to be fair i don't know if it's common at other clubs um i only concentrate on rovers really so i don't know what contract situations get like other clubs like I said but from our perspective it's turned into a bit of a, a joke contract isn't it Alex and how frustrated are you that it could be like again with Lewis Travis like Jacob mentioned I think he's only got two or three years left now so that could be another one and, and again with believe what you want from Twitter but rumours certain that he's desperate for um, a good decent offer or else he'll be off as well in the next couple of years well, I think it's only meritorious to mourn about how hard done by you are in terms of your finances. If you know you've done everything you can to sign players up, and you know you've got them on long contracts and uh, things like that, but what we've seen at Rovers is that you know we've sold ourselves short um, time and again. You met, gave a few examples there where Rovers have actually lost money due to bad planning. Um, I think my main contention with the way the club operates is that we often have two or three years of quite lavish spending on loan players and transfer fees. And then we have like a very harsh cutbacks for 18 months to two years. And we seem to work in a cycle of feast and famine, if that's the right term for it. And um, that's not the way that you build a consistent football club. It's not the way you progress in the right direction. I think we're sort of seeing the mirror image of the Gary Boyer era when he kind of built a squad together and then that spending had to be harshly uh, curtailed and we had lots of player sales after that and big cutbacks. It seems to me that the last six months has shown that that process is sort of repeating itself all over again, um, which, you know, it's a worry when we know where that ended last time. But what I would say this time is that you still look at the squad that is left there and you think, well, there is enough quality there, certainly more quality than what we had in the season where we were relegated last time out. And we obviously have a better manager than we did then. So 
that's my main contention with it. It's it's the it's the long term planning at the club, and it's we're not often able to soften the blows of losing players when they run out when the contracts expire because we're often operating in that way where it's you know all or nothing, um, and that's why I object when people say oh, it's of a season for Marbury last season when I knew it wasn't a free hit of a season. Well. A, it cost us 20 million quid, so it wasn't free. Um, and B, when you lose all those good players, you can't go again. So no season is a free hit in this league, especially when we had as many good players in the door at one time as we did last season. So all those things are going to dawn on people, I think, over the next few months when they see the results start coming through, that last season wasn't a free hit at all. But yeah. That, that's sort of my position on it. I think Mowbray's spending, especially last season, is sort of coming coming back to bite them now. Whilst obviously permanent signings were at a minimum last year, um, I imagine Tom Tribal came in a pretty penny. Barry Douglas won't have been cheap. I imagine Harvey Elliott as well would have took a significant um, loan fee. Um, I think, yeah, but I think it also comes down to the, to the ownership as well because the ownership of the people who set the budget for the season. True, true but I, th- I think I think that Mowbray's done enough now. I think the reason that Venkies have given Mowbray money to sign players like, and I'm completely spitballing to Jacob jumping if I'm wrong, but um, I think the reason Mowbray has been trusted with funds for players like Brereton and Gallagher is because Mowbray hasn't tried to mess the owners about. I think they looked at the business they did, especially in League One, bringing in Bradley Dack and, and players like that. I think they trust him with funds. Unfortunately, I think that he's been stupid with those funds. Um, Burton's finally bringing some some sort of um, retribution, I guess, after two torrid seasons. And last season, good. He's playing full of confidence this season. Looks like he could be a very important player for us. But five million on Sam Gallagher, stupid in my opinion. Um, it just doesn't make much sense. Um, so for me I think that Mowbray sort of shot himself in the foot completely and I don't think he can have many complaints yeah I agree that he can't have many complaints over the backing he's been given and I think he's fully entitled to spend the money he's given to spend but my contention would be why don't they want to spread that money over a more consistent period of time and make sure that it's a consistent. I think, I think. I think. Again, to go back, I think the, they just trusted him. They trusted him to make the right signings, but instead he spent five million on a player that scored. How many goals did he score for Birmingham, Jacob? The season after all was about three or four. Didn't score many, no. Yeah, and he, he's, Tom, he's, you're, Tom, you're going to be upset when uh, Southampton knock six million off Armstrong's valuation for overpaying there. Well, there, there. Well, look, it's. It's what I, 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 it's not my mind. I think it's been spent foolishly. I think that he's been given a lot of money, given the financial constraints we're under. And I guess as the horse, I shouldn't be giving my opinion too much. But that it does frustrate me a, a huge amount, especially that the money spent on on Sam Gallagher, because I just think that he chased him for two seasons, um, and he's only ever performed at Blackburn in one loan season. Scored six, seven goals. Can't win a header, and he's about six foot three, whatever he is. So. Look, I'm being overly critical there because he has shown fits and flashes, but it's the same. It's fits and flashes. It's not enough. Certainly not enough to just justify five, six million. And I'd love him to prove me wrong and go and score 20 this season. Um, but we will see. That's enough, though, on the, the contracts and transfers. We probably <laughs> spoke a bit too much there. Um, I just want to touch on the staff turnover and, and, and Jacob, so I'm going to come to you with again as well. Um, obviously, Billy Barr has gone to Salford, Simon Cooper to Stoke, and then Glyn Chamberlain today. It's come out that his contract hasn't been renewed. Um, we were speaking a bit before we started recording about, um, especially Billy Barr wanting to get back into first-team football. How much of a loss is that to Rovers, given that he had such a successful season with the under-23s? And, and do you think they can replace him with someone of similar quality? He opened a pathway for for the younger players, most definitely, and um, the way he was able to replicate the, the sort of blueprint that the, the club wanted in in their younger players to be the way they're performing, their tactical knowledge. He um, he set a very good standard, which will be should be hard to replicate. I think Mike Sharon's the, the seemingly obvious candidate to to succeed in, which would be again, he's Mike Sharon's a 
a, a brilliant coach, a, a great teacher um, of a game, and I think he'll be. Um, I think he'll succeed in that role. But then you've got a, an under 18s vacancy then, so it'd be interesting in that regard. But yeah, I think it was a it was too good an opportunity for for Billy to turn down. Um, the chance of of an, joining an ambitious professional club, um, and he wanted to get back into into the football league, back into the first team game, um, and I think there's endless opportunities at Salford. Really, they're a club that are on the up, uh, looking to improve. They've got lofty ambitions, uh, and I think that sort of matched his expectations. And um, working with with Gary, uh, I'm sure they'll have a great relationship. So I, I think that's a, a good move, and obviously the club allowed. Salford to, to speak to him so I think there's a mutual mutual respect in that regard Definitely and, and Alex Nolly just on the staff turnover from a fan perspective it is worrying um, I think when you hear the reasons it does make more sense I think obviously Billy Ball wanting to go Salford can't blame him he'll be on more money like you said the opportunity like Jacob said is unreal um, Ollie I'll come to you first from that fan perspective, though, is it a concern that this staff turnover now, that's three players, that's three people left, four if you count Stuart Harvey from whenever he left, was it March, April time? Um, so obviously it's not superb, it's not brilliant. Is, is that at all a concern? People saying it's, it's, I think Alex, you put something in the chat, from like rats leaving a sinking ship. <laughs> so... I think it's, um, like, you know, Football fans react a lot to things. So, it, yes, there's been like four backroom members of staff that were in important positions have left in, well, the space of six months. But then as soon as you look at the reasoning behind them, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't smack of people leaving a club on, you know, heading into the doldrums or in a really bad spot. It's... You know, Stuart Harvey, Sunderland have got their young, ambitious, very rich owner. Thought they were going to get promoted. This is now what the fourth season in the. If Stuart Harvey prefers signing Corey Evans in League One, that's you know he he made a decision and he's you know they're now he's operating in League One for this season and not in the Championship. So. And the argument could be that Sunderland have more prospects of getting to the Premier League before Blackburn Rovers. They're a bigger club, they'll have more money to spend if they do come up. Well, if it, you've got to get out of a very hard division to get out of, which they've not looked even remotely close to getting out of. You know, even in the playoffs, I don't think anyone thought they were going to get actually win with their record at Wembley. Um, and then they've got to get out of the Championship as well, which is probably even harder. So, you know... There, many clubs want to get out of divisions, but it's very difficult to do. Um, and then the other three, um, again, yeah, like you say, the opportunity at Salford and being involved in first team football. Um, and then, yeah, the one today, head of European scouting, it's a position we don't need at the club. It, it, the immediate reaction is, oh, another person's leaving, that's bad, but actually, it's a position that's we don't need. It's a waste of money, um, so it's not a problem. It Certainly has... seems it with obviously the <laughs> the um, Brexit situation that the yeah. system that's needed. Alex, I'm going to come to you because I know you have got some opinions on on the, the staff turnover. Um, how much of a concern is it for you? Ollie's obviously mentioned there that when you look at it in more detail, obviously it makes a bit more sense. But how much is it? How much of a concern is it? For you, that these this now four blacks of four members of staff that have left, and with Morbury coming into last year's contract, say he does leave at the end of the season, that means staff turnover the course of about what 18 months is going to be ridiculously high. Is that a bit of a major concern for you? The only reason I'm concerned about it is because it happens in the context of the summer we've had. I think if we'd have had a normal summer when the transfer window seemed to work normally and we'd got a few decent players through the door and the fans seem to be quite content. I think those concerns are put on the back burner. I think you have to view everything in context at Rovers. You know, often there is, you know, when something does look concerning at Rovers, often it is. Uh, that's what I've learned in the 10 years I've gone every week. So 
you look at the announcements and the circumstances of each individual person and you say, well, all that, that makes sense. But am I operating on the assumption that ex-employees don't usually badmouth clubs that they've been at? You know, why would they come out and say that club's terrible, it's it's sinking, it's going the wrong way and I've kind of run out before it all goes pear-shaped? So I don't put much stock in them praising the club after leaving. I think that's probably expected. That's kind of par for the course. Um, I would more view it in the context of the pre-season we've had, which, you know, even the most optimistic fans will say it's not been ideal preparation for the season, has it? Um, you know, we've we've not had many senior players fit uh, just through bad luck. Um, I don't think the friendlies we've arranged have been of a suitable calibre for preparing for a season. I don't think the order in which... I've had Leeds and Everton. I think those two are big, big ones, I think. Yeah, I, I think I still think, though, that a couple of training ground friendlies don't really stack up. You, you need to be playing in a stadium for me. I, that might be me just being traditional and stupid, but training ground friendlies don't really cut the mustard for me uh, when you're kind of walking out on match day, game week one. Is that good prep? I'm not so sure it is. So that I just think generally the preparedness for the season has been not great. And I've always said, you know, even when we were doing the other stuff last season, I said the worst outcome for next season will be uh, under-preparing for next season and sacking Marbury like two months into next season. And I just can't shake that thought out of my head at the moment, you know, that we, we do have a bad start and the Venkies panic. Um, and they go, oh. You think you're certainly right. There's not been much preparation. Uh, and I think um, that's that... That you, you've got to view everything in context. Now, the the point I was trying to make in the group chat was, <laughs> it it was tongue in cheek, obviously, but you do view everything that goes on in in the broader context of of the way the clubs run and the circumstances this summer, and that's sort of the point I was trying to make. No, I think I think you you're right, and you, you said context is obviously important. Um, but I do want to move on, really, from all this depressing stuff, maybe a bit of a laugh, um, and speak about the coming season. I say that, but it's about the expectations, so who knows? Um, obviously, it's no secret that expectations are going to be significantly lower this season. Um, there is the question of just how low, and in this segment, that's exactly what I'm going to pose to the panel. Alex, I'm going to stick with you as well. Just your initial thoughts, that you covered them basically there, um, but just briefly... Is it just don't go down? Well, what what would I want or what do I expect? I think they're two different. Well, who would you expect? I think everyone. If I said what I wanted, it'd be promotion, obviously. But yeah, what do you expect? What are you? Yeah. What would I settle for before the season started? Obviously, automatic promotion. What do I think will happen? It'll be between where we finished last season and the relegation zone. I would say between fifteenth and. 22nd, I would just, say, anywhere Just quickly, before, before I move on to asking Ali a similar question, do you think we will stay up? Uh, I think if we keep key players fit, we will stay up, but just about. Just about. And Ali, would a 15th place finish be seen as a success, similar to last season? I know I just asked Alex one in saying that he's staying up a success. He said yes, basically. Um, so... We, we lamented that 15th place finish last year, but is it, like I said, a significantly different season this year? Um, it was interesting. Like, I saw what, you know, I knew what we were going to talk about today, that I hadn't really thought about my expectations for the season and whether the people sort of pitching, if we can just simply mirror what happened last season, which from the end of January to the end of the season... It's probably the worst run of form I've seen Rovers. It's not been great, for, but on the whole, I guess, because it was a good start. I think it was sort of uniquely terrible. No, I I mean, I don't think, I haven't got lofty expectations, but I think the three sides that have come down into the championship are likely to be very strong. Um, Bournemouth as well. Bournemouth looked very good this season. They could be. Yeah, but they're probably, you know, they're going to lose Dan Juma and some other... and they are going to lose some of their best players between now and the end of the window. But, the, you know, Swansea are going to be a very different, you know, new manager, lost some of their best players. Likewise with Reading, which had a bit of a 
under an embargo as well. But Reading. so, but if you you scan the division, it is desperately mediocre. Aside from a, you know a couple of very a couple of teams that are going to be very very strong. Um, no, I'd be looking, you know, bottom of the top half, you know, around twelfth. I don't see why that's out that's of lofty. I think that's lofty. But then, I well, think well, like close. I say, the starting eleven, the starting eleven this season is isn't particularly different from the starting eleven at you know pre Bradley Dax return and re injury last season, for argument's sake. And everyone expected us to get in the top six. So what? Some key players gone there, though. Harvey Elliott, Adam Armstrong likely to leave. Yes, but yes, so as things stand, if Armstrong goes, that changes things to a degree. Um, but no, I'll stick with 12th. Interesting, interesting. Jake, I'm going to come to you as well, just on this. Um, obviously, the past couple of seasons, I think the expectation coming out of Rose have been pretty clear. They've expected and, and looked towards the playoffs. Is that significantly different this season? Are they aware of the fact that we're quite some way off the playoffs unless we have some some crazy run, similar to the likes of, of Barnsley? Yeah, I think the shackles are off uh, in terms of this season. Um, he was Mowbray was asked about what what are the expectations this season? Is, is it playoffs again? And he just really laughed it off, um, which considering his tone this time last year was a complete complete change. But yeah, I, I think any improvement on on last season in terms of points tally and anything is would be taken as a success. So I think that's all they can do at the minute uh, for just focus on themselves rather than the rest of the division um, and focus on improving on their points tally, improving their position. That's then that'll be a, a success in their eyes. Do you think the pressure was a bit too high last season, Jacob? Do you think that obviously from the fans, even though people weren't in the ground on Twitter and on, on social media, Fans were very, very vocal about what was expected. Didn't help that Mowbray came out and said what was expected as well. I think everyone genuinely believed we were going to get there. Do you think there was a bit too much pressure last season? Yeah, it's a young squad. It's a very young squad. Um, I just don't think they, they cope with the, the mental demands. I mean, it was a congested season. Um, the physical demands already were enough um to sort of test even even the better sides in, in the division um but it's how you sort of mentally get through the obstacles overcome the barriers uh and i think when when you're mounting the pressure like that i just uh, the qpr defeat was was the big one um i think it just sort of knocked not the wind out of the sails a little bit because up until that point obviously they, they were starting to find a way to win ugly which um which is what you need if you're going to mount any sort of playoff bid or, or promotion bid. Um, and obviously, well, I thought they played well in that game against QPR, but again, a set piece um, let them down. It just knocked the wind out of the sails a little bit. And then once you've, you've, you've got that sort of nerve about you, then it, it just it derails from there. And obviously, that Preston was a big sucker punch. But I think mentally, it, it sort of added to the occasion. I don't think they were able to, to rise to it. And then Ollie, um, asked Jacob there about obviously being a lot of expectation last year. Do you think that lower expectation could help this season? Because inevitably with lower expectation, there is less pressure. Fans are expecting the worst. Therefore, anything better than the worst is a success. Had, had fans been around all of last season in stadiums, I think I'd agree with you. But... I think there's, I think there'll be goodwill to, you know, seeing Brereton and chili flags and just people enjoying getting back to some sense of normality. But there's a year of anger pointed towards one man. And like Alex said, my biggest fear actually is, you know, lose the first, you know, Swansea on Saturday start well concede a soft goal because we make a mistake have lots of the ball do very little to actually look like we're going to score and lose very easily 1-0 it's going to be that's all it takes 
that would that is if it just mirrors. I think I think if if it mirrors last season, there'll certainly be um, pitchforks will be out very very early on. Alex, that's, wanna... that's what worries me. The goodwill. You know, I I think people have got the fans have got so much time. You know, we've got some really fantastic players, young players that have got a lot of goodwill from the fans. And but I think it if things it turns very quickly and there's like a year of I think I think the issue is there's not you you're out as goodwill towards players. I think there's very little goodwill towards the manager at the moment. No. I did hear Tony Morris blew my army. To be fair, um, at Leeds. Which I was quite shocked at, to be perfectly honest with you. I didn't think that would come out. Um, but to be fair to Rovers fans, I think they do tend to support the manager. Um, two very, very special um, exceptions in Owen Coyle and Steve Keane. Um, but genuinely, ge- generally, sorry, I think that we do support the manager. Um, Alex, same question I asked Ollie. Lower expectation, could it be a bit of a benefit? I agree with Ollie that I don't think the manager and the players would have any less pressure than what they had last season playing in empty stadiums. Um, I think, but they knew there was an expectation last season. I think my, my point is more. Yeah, I suppose they did, but I think the manager got away with murder last season. Um, the manager publicly and, came out and said he wanted promotion and finished fifteenth. Yeah, and the manager got away with murder last season, and I think what. It's quite unique in the sense that Rovers are starting this season and I think the fans are already at the end of their tether. And I think sort of the mood at the moment is like you're just waiting for the someone to throw a match in the box of fireworks, really. Um, you know, and losing the first three games could do that. So and all hell could break loose. So, you know, I don't necessarily think they're under less pressure. I think they're expected to do worse in the division, but I think they've got a worse squad than they did last season. And so <laughs> the pressure, I think, will still be the same. But I think, obviously, the expectations of the final league position will be different. I don't think, uh, you know, the pressure depends on what you've got in your squad and what quality you've got. And if um, if you've got no quality in your squad saying, well, we want to finish 15th, that can be pressure, you know? Mm. So... Um, that's the way I'd look at it, but I, I'm a believer that sunlight's the best disinfectant, and I think the fans being in the ground this season will, um, let's just say, it will allow fewer, um, shall I say, sentences of nonsense to come out of the manager's mouth uh, than than happened last season. Uh, so yeah, we'll so, see how that goes. No, you're right. And I've decided we're going to clip. A lot of your little sayings, sunshine's the best disinfectant. Was that when you had famine or feast earlier on? Um, sentences of nonsense. That's yeah. got a. That's fantastic. So I've got a ring to it, definitely, and I'll probably bring it up in the next segment. on this podcast, so that's like the only way. Just use lots of wordplay. No, that's fair enough. And obviously, I did say we'd be a bit more happy. Obviously, that was still depressing again. So we're going to bring on to predictions, which hopefully um, we can have a bit of fun with. Um, it's time for your predictions on the panel. Obviously, I'm going to be asking them um, where they think we're all finishing the table, who our player of the year is going to be, and then who the top scorer will be. So, Alex, first, just quick fire three. Um, league position, player of the year, and top scorer in that order. Oh, God. <laughs> Come on, uh, you knew this was coming up. You should have thought about it. Top scorer, uh, Ben Burton Diaz. Um, player of the season, Scott Wharton. And league position, I've got 18th. Ollie? Uh, league position, 12th. Top scorer, Brayton Diaz. I agree. And player of the season for him as well. I think he's going to have a good one. And then finally, Jacob, yourself, what's your uh, what's your three? Uh, league position, 18th. Um, top scorer, Big Ben Diaz. And I'm going to go with a slightly bold one for player of a season. I think Lewis Travis is going to have a really good year this year. I've, I've got an inkling. So, yeah, Ben three. Well, there we go. There's, there's them fair threes. My three... Um, I'll probably go with probably 18th as well. Um, and then ooh, probably Ben as the top scorer just because I think Arm's going to leave. So I think the goal's got to come from somewhere. Um, and player of the season. 
go left field as well. I think Brad Dak's going to come back in like January or whenever he comes back and just completely save us from some real rubbish, some real dog doo-doo um, and, and drag us out of a bit of a hole and become our player of the season just because, as everyone knows, I'm absolutely in love with Bradley Dak. Um, and with that being said, it is your lot. Obviously, I'd like to thank my panellists who have been superb as always. Of course, a huge thanks to you as well for listening. Whilst expectations are low on Rose Front, I am actually really excited to bring you the pod this season. Um, I think we've got some great things planned, not just on here, but across Rovers chat. So do make sure you subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, because um, like I said, all that stuff comes out. Again, I'd like to uh, thank our sponsor, Six Yards Out. Um, until next time, goodbye. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.